Hello, listeners. In this series of podcasts, we're exploring the regions of Italy. With the geographic size of the state of California, and with 20 regions, Italy represents a rich canvas of geography, history, and culinary specialties. We'll be introducing you to some Italian history and recipes that will help explain why Italy is such a culinary journey. So join us on Road Trip Italy. You're listening to Sharing the Flavor, a show that connects you with flavor and how to create it. In this show, we connect you with recipes, cooking techniques, and show you a little bit of the science of cooking to help make you a successful cook so you can share flavor with your friends. I'm your host, Andy Gebby. In this episode, we're continuing our road trip and are going to the northmost region of Italy to an area called Val d'Aosta. It's surrounded by the Alps, and the food is influenced by the neighboring countries of France and Switzerland. We will be discussing alpine food and featuring fontina cheese in the process. For this episode, both Vanessa and I made dishes using fontina cheese. We'll also discuss a braised beef dish that's typically served with polenta, as well as some unique desserts that come from that area. So join us as we head into the mountains for an exploration of Val d'Aosta. So, so we're so we're showing pictures of uh, of Val d'Aosta, or d'Aosta, excuse me. And looking at the pictures makes me fatigued just looking at them because why? <laughs> because you have to be very physically fit to live in these places. No, it's a, well, you get especially you're going to be eating that level of that amount of cheese on a daily basis. Exactly. Well, I must say that Vanessa would have find it difficult because it's impossible to find someone there. Basically, that is not going to have to dig and get their hands filled with mud every so often because it's an enormous outdoor place. It's the smallest region in Italy, as you guys should know, probably. Yes. Are you saying that I would have a hard time finding a a landscaper? (laughs) You will find the guy that just uh, you liked, was dressed up. You'll find about half of the guys will be that good looking. Um, There's... Even better when you get when we get to the other part of the mountains because there's a lots of Slav in Slavic influence. Yes, um, and but and the women are good looking as well, by the way. Well, and and honestly, when you as look they, at as they should be, I mean, they live in the mountains and they eat cheese all the time. I mean, come on, <laughs> very conducive to to beauty. Anyway, it's the smallest. It's the smallest region in Italy. It is an autonomous region as well, so it has a lots of of uh, relative freedom. The laws just changed. I don't know how they've changed again, um, but for a while it was competing as being one of the the wealthier parts of Italy. Valdosta? On a per capita basis, really, I didn't know that. On a per capita basis, mm. uh, because uh, well, they would get in discussions that don't have anything to do with this podcast regarding efficiency and pertainment, even though there's no such word, and the efficacy of smaller um, places where belonging counts. So corruption is always there, but not that much corruption compared to other places. Mm -hmm. And so it's been very well governed, uh, despite it having not that many resources. Basically, it's a chunk of mountain. Well, and it's, I mean, when, and I'll... I'll, There are no provinces. Yeah, there's no... Provinces, one province. one province, and it's essentially the valley, and it's surrounded by mountains. It's surrounded by the Alps, and it's city. It's 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 a quite city. lovely. It's, Not the most lovely, but and I've been through it several times, of course, uh, probably twenty. Well, 
but, in the past. But when you look at the the images of Valdosta, and I'll, I'll bring some up here for us to reference, these are, <clears throat> you know, medieval castles, you know, in the... In the actually, some of them are meant to look like medieval. They're actually, some of them are built quite a bit later. Actually. Oh, really? Yes. Well... They're very. Im- I know. Strike, strike the pose. They're they're very impressive to look at, and I think Vanessa, you were mentioning that, like I think it was this this uh, castle, or I think this is the what structure is this, Giovanni? Is this the? You're it looks like me. a monastery. I don't it know looks which like one of them. It looks like is. a place where no? a bunch of celibate men would hang out. <laughs> <laughs> That's more farther south. I'm, I'm very familiar with those kinds too. of places. I'll have you know. <laughs> <laughs> so the following that comment that has a lot of meaning to it ah that's hilarious so i don't know which of the famous relatively famous castles that is and i've only drove through it and stopped off to eat a few times of course particularly in house itself and been through some of the mountains uh but it's it's there are many castles in that all oh, it's Bard's. Bard's. It's uh, Bard's Castle. So, yeah, the the castle I was trying to think of is Bard's Castle in Valdos. This one. Yeah. And looking at it, um, I mean, it's just the it's eye popping the visuals as it's perched on top of a uh, mountainside, uh, looking like something out of a movie. I'm sure movies were probably filmed here because it's just incredibly picturesque. Uh, That's from the 13th century. No, 19th century. Really? Though the castle itself dates from the 13th century and then was continued to be built upon as a fort. As a fort, which makes sense. Yes. Of course, look where it is. Nowadays, it wouldn't be very useful, but up until a certain point in history, it would have been. You oversee the entire valley, so you can defend it very, very easily by having a well-fortified place. You can tell it's not medieval, of course, uh, because you know it's not made that way. Mm-hmm. It's made, you can see it made with you know, windows, not for shooting arrows. Anyway, uh, so we're going to be doing this now. You're the one leading. Yes. Lead the way, Andrew. So, the, so, so this episode's going to be about... Uh, Val d'Aosta, which is the smallest region in Italy. It has a single province. It's uh, the northernmost part of Italy. It's bordered by Switzerland and Mont Blanc in France. And it's a, it's a mountain, mountainous va- village that produces some... No, no, it's a, it's a city. Andy. It's a city? Yeah, that's the villages, but it's a city. It's not like it's a village. Okay. So it's a, it's a city. Aosta, the main city, is is a city. Is a city. Okay. So it's it's nestled within the Alps. It's it's known for and Giovanni, I'm going to lean to you here, but you've been there. I haven't. You and I have been to Switzerland. You've you know you've shown me parts of Switzerland that look a lot like this, where you have these cities that are in the valley, and then you have these. Uh, forts or fortress-looking things that were built to in the Alps, and uh, and Aosta has its share too that are incredibly picturesque. Like as we're looking here at Bard's Castle, sure is just incredible vistas and views. So it's not important. Uh, uh, they're not actually built in the mountains. They're built usually on the hills overlooking the rivers, 
for obvious reasons, for, for strategic reasons, you can see things. The mountains, you don't have anything. That's where you have the, the, the monasteries, the churches, but more importantly, just have where you make food in paradise because uh, the Alps from uh, May to uh, October uh, basically is paradise. I don't think you can find a place which is more lovely to be in. Mm-hmm. It's it's incredibly. And I wanted to go ahead. It's incredibly beautiful. Yeah. Like having been in uh, in the Alps with you in the summertime, it's picturesque, beautiful. Um, I can't even imagine. Like in in terms of skiing, you've been there, and you know, in, in winter and skiing, it's it's just incredibly picturesque. That's entirely though different. Uh, that's why I was mentioning before that came later. As far as yeah, it is being in the Alps in the summertime in the mountains, it is simply paradise. However, it is it requires you to be uh, outside, and you do have to get your hands dirty, Vanessa. Uh, I will have you know, I get my dirt hands dirty plenty. Okay, thank you very much. There's just some things I don't like to do. Well. What it reminds me of, Giovanni, though, is being being in the Alps and coming from Ohio, of all places, right, and going to visit going to visit the mountains. It, I know. Put two put two telephone books on top of each other, and you get a view. Is the joke? Yes, pretty much. But it's. I remember when we were first when we first got there, and we were taking a bus up the up the uh, uh, the road to get to where we were. Literally, this is my brother and I literally freaked us out, right? Whereas we're driving up the side of this mountain and with these switchbacks and such and you're getting up to the top and you just can't fathom it until you're there in the Alps and you see how, how beautiful the views are. So that's where I think, you know, Aosta has got to be that way. That The other funny story I was going to bring up, and this this had to do with, with fitness or my lack of fitness at the time, Giovanni, if you remember <laughs> that uh, when we were there in the Alps and we were and there was a family that you were close to and we went out biking and we were biking up the hill and David, who is the, the gentleman who's being so kind uh, to bike with myself and my brother, could see that I was laboring. Richard. Richard, excuse me. So I was laboring, getting up the hill and he looked at me completely deadpan and said, Andy, do you smoke? And I didn't smoke. I was just incredibly <laughs> out of shape at that time. Well, that's why they're the most young uh, women and men um, outside maybe of Austin itself. Yes, they're always relatively fit. It's clean air, classic. Uh, not quite like they're on the other side where they're dramatic and have, have shoulders um, and more Slavic influence. But the reason why the mountain is important is aside from the soil, then you're going to concentrate on foods, um, which of course you make there. So you're not going to be making wheat. You're going to be making rugged grains like segale, which I mean, you're not going to get weak grains. You want to get strong grains and also tubers, and potatoes, etc. And that's the big part of their diet. You're not going to have fruit and they don't have fruit. Mm-hmm. Though in the valleys they do now, of course, but you're going to have lots and lots of chestnuts and stuff like that, and, and nocciole, uh, hazelnuts, and that's all a big part of mountain cuisine anywhere you go, particularly on the Italian side of things. And especially because milk you, too. And you have cattle. massive thermal differences that you cannot have uh, 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 agriculture based when you have massive thermal differences, and uh, that mountain which you saw now there are roads. Before there were not actually much in the terms of roads, so to get from the valley to the mountainside, you do it 
basically a couple times a year. Uh, and maybe once in a while you would go down and then back up because you go up in the mountains and you stay there for the entirety of the summer. And therefore you don't have things like olive oil. So you make it out of readily available butter of the highest quality and cheese. You, you make cheese, of course, because it has a higher profit margin and you can make it there. And it's not as expensive to transport. Imagine transporting milk that much from the mountains down before you had uh, motorized vehicles. Think about that. Yeah. Well, and, you, and, and you've been, you know, you've seen the uh, cheese production in Switzerland so the, and, the, and the cows that they're tending to of, you know. Pre- they're so sweet. They're, I mean, they're. This is beautiful, right? Just to see these these herds of cows. Cows are great, and and they produce fabulous milk because of of and and I guess from what I, as I was reading, and we'll get into Fontina here shortly. But I mean, they the they have a diet that is both you know rigorously controlled, but also they have that when they're eating uh, in the fields, they're eating herbs and wonderful things that just make for fabulous milk. Yeah. This is a throwback to something I already mentioned in an early episode when, when studying economics and, and, and a professor at, at, uh, insisted on saying milk is milk. And no, milk <laughs> is not at all milk, even after you pasteurize it. The other thing is that in Europe, uh, everything, all those cheeses, we always use raw milk. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., for some absurd reason, probably regarding competition, it has nothing to do really with health. They use health as an excuse to defend special interests. Or they used it. And so every mountain uses its milk, and it's completely different from the mountain over there. It's even different from stall to stall. Yeah. And it's different from month to month. Yeah. And it, Literally. And it's even different from cow to cow. And these differences you can actually taste in the different cheeses. Of course, when you get to larger productions, you're going to have more homogenization. But I wanted to say is that, is that the, that's why you have these specific kinds of food products. You are based entirely on what you get there, and transport was not that frequent. So in all over the Alps, you have repetitive themes. Uh, and in places like Avaldosta, you have wild game, cheese, and lots of nuts. And then lots and lots of polenta because it's a lot hardier and even the kind of wheat like segale is, is going to be really stronger and farro maybe a little bit and um, uh, potatoes, lots of tubers that are nice and resistant and don't have to worry too much about them from every day. It can drop to below zero to above 20 at a certain point in the year. Yep. Anyway, that's the blabbering part. Get to the Fontina. If you did the research on it, then you know it's I mean, where it comes from. The one thing we should note is that it's very French-influenced Valdosta. In fact, French is an official language, just like it is. Oh, it is. I didn't know and that. It's an official the dialect language. Is, and the dialect is also, unlike other places, la la. actually spoken <laughs> and known by more than half the population. Interesting. la la, I'm sure, is probably maybe even part of Valdotin, but it's uh, cool because where you have an attachment to place, you have people caring about the place and governing it for the good of the place. Neat. I didn't know that. Well, uh, so which brings us to the, the, you know, you were mentioning about some of the, the, the foods that are made there, and it's very much based upon the, where, where they reside, but the one that they are most known for, or maybe not, maybe not a lot of people know that this is where Fontina cheese comes from, but Fontina is 
Valdosta. It is, it is their kind of crown jewel of what they're known for. Um, and it's been, I mean, Fontina was uh, started, as I was reading, was I guess it was started being made in the 12th century. So it's a, it's a very, very old, um, you know, cheese, very, very old in, it, in the way it's been produced. It's PDO protected, but it's a it's the it's the pride of Valdosta in many ways. No, uh, just like other uh, products, and there are still legal battles ongoing. Fontina is you can only is only made there. The stuff you get in supermarkets in the U.S. particularly that used to call Fontina, which I kind of like relative to other crappy stuff, but it's still nothing to do with Fontina. Yes, nothing at all. It's like Parmesan, Kraft, the non-dairy <laughs> Parmesan cheese. Uh, it has nothing to do with the cheese there, which is really delicious, very flavorful, very fat, and is derived also fondly. It's derived from the fact that it's fat enough that it actually melts. Uh, so that's why you often have, make a fonduta, the you make a, a melted fondere um, from Latin that you can mix with uh, uh, polenta and it's really good yeah it's i mean it's or anything else or risotto as 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 vanessa made yeah and it's 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 a cheese that is earthy nutty creamy i i guess when you look at it and as we're looking at the images here of fontina you know that you're getting the the authentic is it has kind of a natural orange rind to it uh that's pale the soft you know the the cheese is pale semi-soft and is studded with with, with uh, air quotes eyes um, and I guess it says it got its, its name potentially from Fontinaz, um, a local village. Uh, Fontise is a French word describing its ability to be melted. Um, and what I, for our menu today, what we want to talk about is cheeses like Fontina, um, as well as, uh, and I'm, I'll probably pronounce it wrong, Giovanni, is Toma de Grezone. Is that right? Dude, this is French, so it's uh, just like you can pronounce it. It's not. So we're. Grassoni, I would hope, but I have no idea. So what we want to talk about, what I guess what's very common are cheese boards, obviously. So cheese boards with salamis and such. Um, then after that, we're going to get all in, over. We're going to get into a, uh, a fonduta, a fondue with Fontina. And then, like you mentioned, Giovanni, very hearty. Um, uh, meals and this, the one we want to talk about is a carbonade, Valdostana, which is a beef dish. And then, um, you know, top it off with some type of, of, of uh, I guess this, this is a togle, Valdostana, which is like a crispy type of uh, thing to eat. But let's start with the. the yeah, I would do the Mont Blanc, but okay. Okay. Well, we could do that. So Because it is, it is Mont Blanc, that's part of the. The border, and basically, that's one of the most delicious desserts which you can get. Well, let's do that then. So, but let's first start off with the cheese board. So, the, so obviously, they're going to be combining Fontina, uh, Toma, and these. You know, the meats I was not as familiar with, which is this, which is the lardo, uh, the arnad, as well as is it is it mochetta or mochetta mochetta. I can't see that, I'm afraid. It looks like a mochetta, it's a salami. Which I don't know if I've ever actually tasted, to be honest. Brazaula. That's the classic mountain deal. 
which is eaten a whole bunch in the north. You do not get it in the south. It's very hard to find good brisaola. Really? Very, very, very hard. Uh, and I don't think I've ever seen it in the United States. Actually, I'm sure I've never seen it in the United States. It's a different flavor. And it's quite different from place to place. Actually, Viancéché, which is more or less the is slightly more flavorful, at least. And again, it depends. All these things have... Uh, uh, when you say uh, like that, uh, any of these cheeses, they're going to be about five or six, even locally, right away, different versions of them you can find. Like when you say raclette, mm-hmm. there are a bazillion raclettes. Yes. And each one is a bit different. And here, they're the same deal. You'll find still, even though there's a big push to eliminate the, these individual uh, entities, you'll still find that uh, family that makes brazaola and salamis over the past 150 years. And they'll still make it. And it's completely different or better or worse or more toward your taste than the one 10 kilometers down the road. Mm-hmm. It's completely different. And what I what I was going to ask you about Giovanni is lardo. I had lardo. I'd never heard of it. Before. Lardo's yes, you have. <laughs> you forgot. Lardo is is not a type. It's not a, a valdosta. That's just fat lard, big lard. Ah, okay. And you use it all over uh, cooking, and if it's well done, like this one, a piece of brown bread with walnut, walnut bread, some good honey, maybe chestnut honey and lightly toasted and then put some lardo on top it will slightly melt and it's delicious as it is it's not for american taste because it is fat mm-hmm. but it's flavored delicious aged fat the most famous is the tuscan of course the one uh, made in marble called not uh, but um i think it's tuscan i'm not sure but um they make it all over the all over lardo. it's just aged here, I'll put up a link real quick. And would it? Would you imagine a Lando. cheese board would contain something like this? Of course. Of course, all over. Let's take a look at how they translate Lardo. Hurry it up! Hurry it up! Uh, pork fat. Well, that's not very flattering. <laughs> Salted pork. Well, yeah, it's often salted, but it, salt pork, I guess we call it. But it's it's different because it's very refined and really very, very good. But lard is, is the English word, too. Big lard. Hmm. So really, this along with, with the cheeses, as well as some of the other um, uh, salamis, would be a cheese board. Um, and the next thing I want to get us to in the menu is fonduta which is this is something that I had a chance to do. It was American-based Fontina, so it wasn't wasn't the real deal. But Vanessa used the real deal. Vanessa used the real deal, PDO-protected Fontina, and we both made fondue, and it was amazing. So, Vanessa, well... I actually made um, risotto uh, a la Valdostana. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but I made uh, the risotto, which... uh, was really good. Um, I had to go walk like three miles after I ate it. Seriously, 
Well, no, God. I mean, you know, you, you put that cheese in there and, you know, you're eating all those carbs and it was just fabulous. But so I actually was uh, very fortunate this time around. I found some carnaroli rice, which I had not previously had any luck finding at my my trusty Italian deli. The guy, the guy that proposed to me last time that we, last time I went in there, got veal. It was great. He's very happy to see me again. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, and he, they actually carry Brasola, but I, again, I don't know that, it, what, 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 what area it was from. So uh, that, that kind of caught my eye. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, risotto, it was very basic. Uh, the, what made the difference was the, getting the fontina because it, it had that, it, that really melty, oozy, texture, very unctuous and luscious and delicious. And it had this very kind of lovely, like nutty background. Oh, so good. Mm -hmm. Right. That's, yeah. that's, that's, I, that's what. Oh, it was, it was delicious. Like so yeah, I can, like, like I said, I had to go walk three miles afterward because it was a, it was a heart, heart attack on a plate, but Hey, you know what, what a way to go. Right. Seriously. I mean, we, we yeah. used Fontina cheese too. And similarly, we, we made, um, Johnny, these are was it the the croquettes that you make with the um, with uh, uh, risotto after it's been cooled. So we made oh arancini. Uh, no, 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 risalsalto. That's it, risalsalto. So we we made pancakes out of the risotto, fried them, but then on the side we made the fonduta, and then we would drizzle it over those. And we also made um, uh, the bread with um, uh, truffle butter. Um, and just a little on top of that. And it was just fabulous. And I'll, I'll put the link in there. There was actually, this actually came from Italia Squisita. There was like a cool thing where you had a, a chef versus a chef critic, which was hilarious, but I'll, I'll put that in the show notes, but that's where, that's where we got the, the recipe from. It was incredible. But just like you, Vanessa, I literally needed to take a hike for a solid half hour yeah. after, after my meal, because I was feeling sleepy. So sleepy, God, I was like, I was like, I, you know, I, I had to, like I said, I had to take a walk because I thought if I don't take a walk, I'll die of a heart attack. But you know, you know what also helps is you have a glass of red wine with your meal. Yes. It's very good for your. It's medicinal. I'm telling yes. you. And as mentioned before, Andy, the Grolla. 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 This is well. At the end of the meal. Explain, Giovanni. You make uh, coffee with the grappa instead of water. And you put it in a lovely wooden container and share it with people. And the fumes of good grappa, which they make in Valdosta, good stuff. And everybody becomes brothers and sisters, at least for the time it takes to, to <laughs> share the coffee. <laughs> and that will slice apart, man, that'll slice apart the entire salt. You can eat, you can eat lardo of an entire pig, and that'll slice through. <laughs> that'll just go straight through it right away. I assume these are not the kind of pigs that hunt for truffles they probably do but don't tell us about it <laughs> can you imagine how good they would taste though oh Yummy. i can't even imagine well in this in spain i'm pretty sure that they do have that the, forgive being a bit, bit a bit direct but the last six months they emphasize certain aspects of diet so that the meat has a certain flavor well so Getting past our first, you know, our, the fondue part of what we uh, of what the meal's about. The other thing I wanted to talk about is uh, carbonada, valdostana, which is typical. Carbonada is it carbonada? There are so many different versions of the thing, which is kind of silly. So, but this is served up uh, with polenta, um, 
uh, is its base, and it is a hearty meal. Let's put it that way. So you're cooking. <laughs> Go ahead, Javai. Right. You're in the mountain. You're in the mountains. What you have is you take what you have, and so you do have beef if you have some money, or you have uh, capriol. You have roe deer or other mountain, a wild game. And um, even the cows there, they're not going to be tender, okay? They're going to be, they're very active. And so you want to marinate the beef uh, sometimes. So you really want to marinate particularly the wild game, actually for a couple of days, in wine, usually red wine, or whatever you got, and herbs, whatever you got. So there are a bazillion different recipes, but it pretty much is to taste and what you got. <laughs> and you just shove it in the wine, juniper berries if you got them, if not, no, mm -hmm. and you just let it go for a couple of days, and that'll be used to braise, not stew. See, it's not actually a stew, which is why I saw that it's actually not a stew, guys. It's a braise. Mm. There's a big difference, okay? Um, also regarding how much you cover and how you cook the thing. It's usually it's finished in the oven. Oh, it is? Okay. Usually. And flour and, you know, onion. You don't need a sofrito. Some people sofrito if you like it that way. Uh, onion is, is probably more than enough by itself in this instance because you've got a, you've got the marinade full with spices and you're going to use that, that, those spices in the, in, the, in the dish as well. And that's it. You usually just brown the meat. First you do the, the onion, then you brown the meat, then you uh, put everything in after using a bit of wine to get it out and then put the rest of the wine in and the things you use for the marinade and let it go until it's nice and tender. And you said it's actually finished in the oven, so and a bit of flavor. Because I've seen where they're they're cooking the the onion with with the red wine. They're also, um, you know, combining the beef with the with the flour and then adding the white the red wine to that. Then you finish you, in the you, oven, or what do you do? It's up to the, the the person. They're look at the different recipes. There are a whole bunch of different recipes. It's not like it's not like making carbonara where you have three a few ingredients, and you can make that a whole bunch of different ways as well. It, this instead is much more open. And when you go to Switzerland, it's an entirely different dish, by the way. Hmm. And this is typically and served with polenta. Is that right? I would. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. It, it's the perfect accompaniment. And polenta concha is simply uh, um, conchatura, for example, means wig. Concha means how things are, are presented. Conchare. So when polenta concha means you've you've added something to it, you flavored it, hmm. and you usually want to have a, a hearty polenta, uh, not a hard, not a heavily ground one, because you want something that's going to have flavor, and you don't want to use something which has high. You're going to use like a big grain corn. You're not going to you're not using sweet corn flour. You're using a nice thick grain, um, low sodium, hearty. Takes a good hour to cook usually on open flame. And during the cooking, if you want to conciarlo, then you can use it with fontina. You can have fondute di fontina. You can make a, a melted down, add a little cream, add a little milk if you want to, just a little. And you can use that. I prefer having the concha. I use broth sometimes, milk at the end, butter, and good fatty cheese. And you just keep on slowly turning it around with a wooden spoon, slowly turning it around with a wooden spoon. You can even let it go by itself, covering it up in a nice copper pot, which works just as well, too. Hmm. Um, and you just slowly let it go. But by flavoring it, you get that nice, lovely combination. And it's no longer... Because we're used to that polenta crap, which you make in seven minutes or five minutes. Right. 
they have that in Italy too. It's not. And I was one I used, I used to use that stuff. It's kind of like powdered potatoes, you know, uh, 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 mashed potatoes. Mm-hmm. That's like instant you know, flakes, potatoes. Mashed potatoes. Yeah. I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe you guys don't use it. No, but uh, <laughs> it, it's not, or like the, or like can, or like the, the cube broth. It's not the same stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it just is not, it's not even really comparable, frankly. And good polenta with that on top is really cool. I'm sure they make it with um, chicken livers and rabbit livers, I'm sure, often as well, because that's a common ingredient there. That's a, a normal natural dish. But it's always hearty, strong, marvelous, simple food. Well, and it's, I mean, it's it's impressive to, you know, to see that it's the, how I say it, the balance between the beef, which is going to be extremely hearty on top of this, uh, polenta, which is going to fill you up. And after a day's worth of labor and work, you know, outside. Even without, you guys got to remember that we've got, uh, how can I say, we have it in the U.S. and other places as well, but much, much less. So uh, having a hot chocolate with uh, a glazed donut, if you're on a Saturday afternoon JV football or flag football game mm-hmm. or for your daughters. If it, doesn't that fit perfectly well in October in Ohio or November? It does. And it tastes like the place. Here you're going to eat this polenta with that lovely beef heavily marinated or roe deer. And you're going to have clean air. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be cool. And the sky is not polluted by and large. And so these flavors fit. And then you're going to have a good glass of kind of minerally red wine. And it just fits. Does Valdosta make, have any wines from that region? Sure. And pretty good ones too. What are the, um, what are the grapes from there? I do not. Yeah, probably the same ones like Cornelan and, and, and I imagine they use, I don't know if they use fondant as well. I'm sorry, I did not look. Because Valdosta, remember, is really tiny. It has not much influence doesn't mean it's not great food it simply doesn't have a great deal of influence because i question if you have a lot of um early immigration from valdosta to the to the states i'm sure you had it petit rouge nebbiola nebbiolo pironero fumin uh pré blanc which i don't know i'll have to look and they have some really great Great grapes. Wine from Valdosta. Yeah, great wines. I'm sorry. But it's rouge. I actually kind of like. It's kind of cute. It's a cute grape. Gamay. Oh, yeah. Which, if you've ever had, this is all, they're all, they tend to be throughout the Alps, uh, slightly minerally, uh, which I don't like a whole bunch. At least the flavor to me is. Um, but nevertheless, they're really high quality stuff. Well, and you were what mentioning makes before. them minerally? What in the soil makes them so yeah. minerally as compared to other? I don't know. Natives? Actually, someone was here and I was asking what the difference was, and he said something to do with literally also uh, the amount of rainfall and exposure mm, oh, that makes sense. to sunshine. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I don't make wine. Otherwise, I would be you know more more happily to respond. Uh, but they do have, to me, a tendency to have this sort of metallic yeah. um, length, which some people can like. I don't like it that much, but it still fits perfectly with some uh, good polenta, uh, braised or even stewed if you must, but it's braised meat. (laughs) 
or just a, a, a cheese and 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 salami board of simple direct. What doesn't go with the cheese and deep. salami board? I was going to say nothing. Yeah. And wine. What For, doesn't go with wine and a cheese and salami board? You need it. I mean, well, you, need you know, it. come on. That's, or that's like grappa. the most perfect food or and drink grappa. combination on earth. It really is. When you're in Switzerland, at least, that's what you end up eating a whole bunch of because God help them, the Swiss know how to, you know, manage things and do things. But man, they cook crappy by and large. <laughs> and you end up having <laughs> cheese boards and uh, salami boards pretty much every day at, by, the, by the second, third week. That's what you eat, third day. Well, you have to stay warm somehow. Exactly. You can't, you and, can't just eat chocolate all the time. Well, and speaking of staying warm, you were mentioning before about they make some of the best grappa, Giovanni, is that right? They make, there are some excellent grappa makers as well. Again, all these things were done farm to farm to farm or, or, and there are makers, of course, that then began to make them and sell them, but they're all the things that were made in every place and each one a little bit different. They're like all over, all over Europe by and large. So, so getting to dessert, Giovanni, you were mentioning about nuts and uh, chestnuts. So what, a, so what is Mont Blanc? I mean, explain it to me. Oh, it's a, a sweetened chestnut paste with, I'll show you quickly the, the, the picture, which I'm sorry that listeners cannot see. I'll put it in the show notes. For but it's one of the perfect, it's one of the perfect uh, dishes which you can eat. The first time you eat it, it's really freaky. It's kind of like Swiss chocolate, kind of like if you've ever read the Bill Bryson book. And you go, mmm, mm, mm, <laughs> yeah. because it's that freaking good. Yeah, put a link in there. There we go. It's meringue, and, and, and here we go. No, no, I just want to go visit. And it's just a tube of uh, of chestnut paste, sweetened chestnut paste. Oh, neat. I like it when you put, when you put violets with it, because it goes well with violet as well. Candied violet. Here we go. Where are you? There you are. And I put this on. I thought you would I thought you must have eaten it. No, I've never tried it. I was actually gonna talk about oh there we go. Thank you. So I'll put this up here for us to look at. Oh wow, this does look good. <laughs> oh. And if you like chestnuts particularly, wow. Then it's it's lovely. almost a, a perfect dessert. I like chestnuts a whole bunch. Hence uh, having it for dessert sweetened. With either meringue or cream, I won't put too much cream. I prefer the meringue. The meringue, right? You call it in English. I've forgotten everything. Yeah, that's. And I like it with a little bit of of, of candied candied violets. That is amazing because the the one I was going to show you, and this was for my research, but you were mentioning before that there's not a lot of fruit. Is it popular for them to do like pears, like pears and wine? Yes. Pears and apple. Okay. Pears, hearty fruits like pears and apple. Pears and wine is a classic dish there. Okay. So pears and wine, Mont Blanc. I have to try Mont Blanc. My goodness, that looks incredible. I'm surprised. We might have to do that, another uh, episode of Valosta uh, and do uh, Mont Blanc. It should so be the. the I'm feeling. The, I'm feeling inspired. Yeah, the dessert edition of uh, Valdosta. So maybe we should. We, that we can wouldn't just be a bad a, idea. A, a, direct, a direct dessert edition of the mountains of the Alp, of the Alpine mountains. Yeah, Alpine desserts. If you like Maron Glacé, do you guys like Maron Glacé? I don't even know what that is. Maron, I'm sorry. Maron is chestnut, and Glacé means sugared. So sugared. If you like sugared um, chestnuts, have you ever had them, Andrew? No, never have. Oh, good heavens! 
They're oh, lovely. Had, you had them. You, you I've had heard them. anything yes, is good. She's had them. This is candy ginger uh, that I'm using right now. So they, they probably okay. they're a lot darker, <laughs> but they'll have the they'll have the sugar on them like this. Cool. I'm surprised. It is marvelous, particularly if they're well done, because it's an overwhelming flavor. It tastes like the tree. It tastes like uh, the soil, but it also tastes deeply of chestnut and sweet. Oh, that'd be amazing. It's kind of orgasmic the first time you eat it if it's well done. And Mont Blanc is having that in a spoon, creamy, kind of like an ice cream. Wow. Uh, it's a cream, not, not in a hard dish. And you can contrast it with something crumbly, whether it's a, a dough uh, or, a, or, or a meringue. Usually make it with a meringue. And I like it with a bit of the violets yeah. aside because you can candy. If you have anything you don't know, you can actually eat violets, candied violets. They become really hard to find, though, because apparently they're expensive to make and they shouldn't be. They just candied violets, mm. violet flowers. Delicious stuff. I believe it. And that's a classic. It's not exactly Valdosta. It's more French, but that's what they eat a lot there. Yeah, candied Anyway, yeah. get back to the menu. Sorry, Andrew. But that's, well, it's uh, really with the, the menu. The only other thing I was going to talk about was there was this uh, Tagle Valdostan, which I'll bring up here. I wasn't familiar with it. And let me see if I can bring it up here for you to comment on it, Johnny. Is, yeah. Bring it up. I have no idea. Cookies. Yeah. It's a form of their form of biscuits with ground hazelnuts and almonds. Oh, delicious. Yeah. Serve that with some espresso. That would be pretty darn good too. Uh, wait. I would already. I would. I would keep on the wines. <laughs> I would <laughs> use some sweet that. wine for that. So would you? Would you use like a port with this, or what would you do? No, I'd use a sweet wine, like an ice wine. Oh, an ice wine. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't think they make ice wine there, but we do. We do. I'm sorry. North, in in northeastern Ohio, they make uh, a pretty decent ice wine, actually. Yes. But necessarily has not had it from. North, Northeastern Ohio. Yes. Ice, Maybe it's headed wine? from Canada. Ice, the ice wine. Iced wine. I've never from... heard of this. What is what is ice wine? Uh, ice wine. I you assume it is grapes. not a glass of uh, really awful pink, uh, cheap pink wine <laughs> oh, with ice cubes it's in actually it. Gotten, I just want to make sure. Since it's been discovered, it's since actually, it's been discovered now, it's actually delicious. It's now become really expensive because there used to just some in Germany, and then it was in the United States, and it was discovered, and now it's international market. It's you wait for the grapes to become completely heavy, dense, and sugared, and they call it ice because. Usually they've already been iced over, and you then harvest the grapes long after uh, they usually would have been, and therefore it's highly alcoholic and highly sweet, and you want highly sweet. Well, I like the alcoholic the wine part from that, and it's delicious. So Vide Blanc iced wine, iced or wine. It's, huh. yeah, it's. I can't delicious. believe there's an actual alcoholic beverage I've never heard of. This is yeah. very strange. Yeah, iced wine ah, is delicious. It's, you should probably. Unfortunately, it got really freaking expensive all at once. Do you remember, Andy? Yes. Like 50 years, 50 years ago. It was too, it was, 30 years ago, it was really cheap. Oh, it was super cheap. Not really cheap, but it wasn't that cheap. Yeah, yeah. And then something happened. It was discovered probably by the international market. We were all, all really sudden... cheap 30 years ago, Giovanni. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but I, I mean, I agree with Giovanni on this, is that if you have like iced wine with the biscuits, oh, man, that would be like ridiculously good. So. And then the grolla, the... Espresso made from with I should say grappa and shared. I'll br- and I'll make sure I link to the grola in the show notes too. So this is that what is... you were calling grol grol earlier? Yeah. So you you said that for a minute. I thought about Dave Grohl from uh, Nirvana <laughs> and the Foo uh, Fighters. We're talking yeah, about Foo so. Fighters. Totally we're different. Talking, totally talk, different. Grohl. We're, t- we're, we're talking about espresso. <laughs> hey, he was born in Ohio. He was. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I, I'm I getting... need to get to Ohio one of these days. There's like a, a lot of interesting people were born there, and there's a lot of cool things to do there. Yeah. Okay. Yes, but as a joke, though I like a whole bunch, the famous joke is uh, Ohio tends to inspire long-distance travel. Yes. We use that term. We use that term a lot in college. Well, maybe I won't go after but, all because I do. I do have an ex who lives in Cincinnati, so maybe I, mean, I just won't go to Cincinnati. I'll go to. I'll go to Cleveland instead. But there, but there, genuinely, there's very cool stuff to be had in Ohio. There really is. It's. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say Cincinnati is actually the Ohio River culture, which is already completely different. I have to admit. Right. It is. Like Cleveland is actually North Coast. It's it's more like Chicago than it is like, uh, you know. Gooberville from in the middle of yeah, it's very Chicago classic Midwestern scene. Actually, Cleveland is very much like Chicago, Detroit, etc. They're all basically the same city. Yep. Well, I'm I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm actually getting inspired to do an episode just on Alpine desserts. I think we need to go there with that. <laughs> this was I this was an eye opener for me. Long, long, wait till, long, till really wait good. till we get to wait till we get to Naples, then Andrew. God. He could do a, a week straight just on those sweets. Just on the sweets of Naples. So That's where Vanessa should go when she comes to Italy. There you go. Yeah. And you should go to Sicily. Oh, I, I trust me. To I Naples? To Naples. And then I should go to Sicily. I should go to Naples. I know the people who were there. Yeah, and just don't carry your wallet with you, of course. No. Um, <laughs> it's not really a joke. It's true. Uh, the thing I wanted to emphasize before is that the mountains before, I mentioned that now that one of the wealthiest places is traditionally the poorest. Mountain people were poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But they also have anywhere you go, be in the mountains, high mountains particularly, you had to work together to survive. Yeah. Literally. And so uh, one thing which is always in the indexes is honesty. And people from mountain places tend to be still now, even though, of course, that's diminishing rapidly, the most honest people in the world yes. relative to other places. And their food, traditionally like this, are all based on really poor stuff. The reason I'm mentioning Sicily to you, Andy, is because in Sicily you have these mega delicious desserts. Oh, my gosh. Because yes. you had rich daughters that would go. See, in the monasteries there, you get, you know, old guys that wanted to contemplate God, basically. In the monastery, in this, in the, in this, in the south, you had uh, latifundistas, or you had massive landholders who had too many daughters, <laughs> and so they would send. There's so not any such nunnery. thing as having too many daughters. Thank you. Yes. Well, there is Very once upon a time comment. because you have to give something. So they shoved mm-hmm. them in the, and they had nothing to do, and they were well educated and very smart, but they also had lots of money and time, and so they invented these desserts, which were phenomenal, and they're almost all in the south from there. Um, and or painting, for example, marzipan fruits because you know you got you're in a you don't want to fucking pray all day. I do. <laughs> your dad sent That's you. All here. I do. I you're pray. Right? <laughs> I swell. I don't know what what your problem is, Giovanni. There's nothing say, wrong with praying all day, about, buddy. Then you get to have the communion wine too. So like, hello. Exactly. Cool. Come on. Anyway, in the mountains, they didn't have much money, so you have rugged, direct, um, fulfilling flavors. Yes. And that's where you show. And then you also had to have agriculture products that were resistant to extreme uh, temperature variation. And that's why you have a lot of polenta, potato, etc. When you get farther down in the south and you have much more wealth in certain places, and that's why you have those elaborate, marvelous foods. 
which aren't any better, by the way. They're just different and more expensive to make mm-hmm. and require a lot more work. Well, I, I.e., for the, example, bread in the mountains is, is almost never was never fresh. You'd make a bloloff of selage, for example, and it was almost always dried bread that has been out for even weeks. Mm. And you slice off a bit and maybe you wet it up to to, re, to reinvigorate it, and that's the kind of bread you would have. It's basically dry bread you eat. It's not you know you can't you know you can't waste wood on making a, another fire for daily bread. Wood is important. Mm-hmm. It's a resource there. So you don't make a whole bunch of fresh bread. You make hearty bread that will last you weeks or months, sometimes certainly weeks. Whereas a brioche is delicious and, 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 and nice, but you have to eat it fresh. Otherwise, it goes to crap. Anyway. Well, sorry. this has been an education. I mean, I, I, I knew some things about uh, the area, but this has been a huge education specifically on the dessert part of it. So I, I was I was pretty blown away with some of the stuff we talked about dessert-wise. And mountain food is, you know, honest, hearty food that you really can't go wrong with. It's um, And the region is incredibly beautiful. I mean, having been to not that region, but nearby in Switzerland, it's incredibly beautiful, incredibly picturesque. So it's been a great time learning more about Valdosta. And I really do want to do an episode on desserts. I've totally gotten to a dessert mode of thinking here with this episode, but um, thank you both. This was a really fantastic exploration of the Alps. Thank you, Andy. We got, when we get farther, when we go farther east, it's even more interesting. Looking forward to it. And Vanessa will go crazy because those are the best looking guys in Italy. <laughs> I'm aware. Do you remember Joe Montana? Yes. Do you like that kind of look? I always thought Joe Montana was one of the most good looking football players, even now well, to, to this day. What's his name? Think of his name. His name is? Joe, Ma- Joe, Joe Mountain. from the mountains. <laughs> there you go. From that part. Because <laughs> you get the, the Venetian shoulders and height, and then you get the Slavic here. And they're just the best looking guys, period, mm-hmm. that I've ever seen. They're like Well he he certainly is. Even well, they even, are. You, even you, now you, that surprised. Older, he's, they're he like is it's like a stamp. He's, he's it's like a stamp. It's like there's a factory up there. <laughs> well, I, I wish I, I wish they'd put some more of them out. Put some more Joe uh, Montana clones out there in the world for us. Oh, well, they've got they've got that. That's what the world needs now. It doesn't, need, Benetton, it doesn't need love, shoulders. sweet love. It needs more Joe Montana. Joe clones. Montana. <laughs> you made a break into song. What the world needs now? No, I better not. Because you're still recording, Andy. <laughs> and I know you'll keep that, and in, in, and it'll haunt me until the end of time. So I will keep that. So thank you. I know thank, you thank, thank you yeah. for chiming in. And yeah, thank you. Okay. Next time we go to the mountains, though, Andrew and, and and Vanessa, we have to have her include this thing. You can cut it off, Andy. I'm just going to put a link on before you guys have to leave because this is one of the most beautiful tunes from the mountains. Oh, I'll definitely link to it. I'll put a link up right away. This is also one of my father's favorite songs. I always cry when I hear it. La Montanara. Mm. It's it's uh, the the choral part of this is stunning. So I will definitely include this in the show notes. Well, on that note, thank you again, both of you. This was this was fun visiting the Alps and and exploring mountain life and all of its beauty.
Yeah, I miss my mountains a lot. The mountains are very cool. I mean, a lot. <laughs>